1: I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me to uh, enjoy a few Lenten reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, Last week, we were meditating on the seven last words of our Lord, uh, spoken from the cross on Calvary, and we will continue those meditations as we ponder the fourth, fifth, and sixth words our Lord spoke, and so Bishop Sheen will guide us in those reflections but before we listen to these meditations, let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please enjoy this meditation now, entitled, Did Christ Think of Atheist? by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Shane.
2: When our blessed Lord came to this earth, the gospel says of him, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He had to be born under the floor of the earth, in a cave, One asked to stoop to enter a cave and the stoop is the stoop of humility now at the end of his life he is rejected by the earth again the trees turned against him the trees that he made for they gave him a cross the bowels of the earth turned against him For they produced a hammer and nails, the roses blushed a deeper red, for from their branches came a crown of thorns. And the earth itself would not have his feet, so they raised him above it. as heaven rejected him or rather as earth did so did the heavens there was darkness over the earth now for three hours and the sun which he had made as a symbol of himself and his death and resurrection in daily life now hid its light almost as if ashamed to shed itself upon the crime of deicide. Is there anyone else who could reject him? Now that the earth and the heavens had? Yes, his heavenly father. Why should the heavenly father reject him? I quote, reject. Because he would not leave us. Because he identified himself with sinners. And therefore the justice of the Heavenly Father saw him as one with the transgressors. And so our blessed Lord at this moment, when nature shares his mood, it's not often that nature shares our moods. We are sad and the sun is bright and clear. But nature now shares his words as he cries out, My God, my God, why? Why hast thou abandoned me? Notice he said God. He did not say his father. Why should the father have abandoned him as the earth rejected him? Well, because he's on this work of redemption. That's it very simply. Now many in my audience are fathers. Many a father has taken his young son to a dentist and the boy had an infected tooth and there was danger of his whole body becoming toxic the boy dreaded going to that dentist and when the dentist took the drill and began to give the boy pain did the father ever seize the arm of the dentist and say do not do that you're hurting my son Or did he suffer it in order that the toxic condition might be revealed and relieved? Now that's exactly what the Heavenly Father was doing. He was allowing the Son to suffer for us that we might be reconciled again to him. Now, each particular word is an expiation, a reparation for some kind of sin. This word of our blessed Lord is a reparation for atheists and fallen away. Does God know anything about atheism? Does he know what it is to be without the Father? In order that he might go through all the agonies of the human heart, in order that there might be nothing in our mortality which he had not suffered and redeemed, he now willingly takes on, first of all, the pains and pangs of all forms of atheism. But notice he uses the word God. As he is atoning for atheists, there's still the undercurrent of God. Here there's the assumption that that is true even of the atheists. scripture tells us of three kinds of atheists first of all what might be called the gastric atheists whose God is their belly that is to say they who live only for bodily and carnal pleasures they are atheists because their flesh extinguishes the spirit and their lives are so foul that no light ever comes through the window of their soul. Then there is another type of atheist called the heart atheist. The psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. That is to say, he does not wish a God. Do you think that a bank robber, when he's most intent in opening a safe, ever looks for a policeman? And those who do not wish there was a God because they would have to change their lives are not looking for God. And the third type of atheists are those who are antichrists. They believe that they believe to hate. I can remember some years ago I used to read mass every Sunday in a church in London and as I came out from the rectory there was a girl standing before the communion rail addressing the congregation, and she said, I'm an atheist. I go out to Hyde Park every night and talk against God. There's too much evil in the world. That is why there is no God, and so forth. And when I came up to her, I I said to her, I was very happy to hear you addressing the congregation and telling them that you believe in God. Well, she said, you silly fool, I don't. Well, I said, I understood you to say just the contrary. I said, do you think we'd ever have such thing in our history in the men in America as prohibition unless there was something to prohibit? Do you think we'd ever have anti-cigarette laws unless there were cigarettes? How can you be an atheist unless there's something to atheate?" She said, I hate you. Oh, I said, now you've given the answer. That's the answer. You hate me. Our blessed Lord now had to feel all of that loneliness. Nietzsche, one who wrote Antichrist and went mad playing the piano, shouting against Christ, wrote to his sister saying, "Do not think that we atheists do not suffer. We are in great agony." Because you can endure anyhow if you know a why, and we do not know a why. So, for all the atheists in the world, yes, for Karl Marx, for Brezhnev, Albania, Russia, for our sophomores who just heard of Darwin last week, the good Lord had to suffer for them and feel all of that rejection for they are not just so much denying God as they are dismissing God. So our Lord now feels dismissed. Then he suffered for all the fallen aways those who have had the faith and lost it. lost it probably through pride lost it more through the commandments breaking the commandments than through a denial of the creed their lights have gone out and they have an entirely different suffering than the atheist the fallen away those who have had the faith and lost it have a deep sense of disorder there's glass in the stomach things are not right they would like to have them right but while they are lonely and distressed and frustrated the Lord is suffering for them and because of this word We never give up hope for the atheists, the agnostics, the skeptics, and the fallen away. The hound of heaven is ever on the march. Stirring the soul, causing a discontent. No matter how much we try to lock God out, we cannot would it not be a great marvel of divine providence if as a prolongation of this word from our, of our Lord from the cross that we would someday witness the conversion of Russia Dostoyevsky the great novelist of the last century said that Russia would one day become infected with devils and then he asks for the Gospel of Luke, and he reads the story of the young man who had the devil, and our Lord cast the devil out of the young man and drove them into the swine, and swine plunged into the sea. And Dostoevsky said, "And that's my Russia, full of devils. And one day the devils will be driven out of Russia, never pushed back and back and back into the sea. And there." There they will be drowned. And Russia will sit at the feet of Christ and learn his gospel. Not very long ago in, in Russia there was a play called Christ in the Morning Coat. On the stage was a simulated altar with drunken priests and drunken nuns about the altar filled with vodka bottles. And this actor whose name was Rostovich came out to ridicule the Beatitudes. And he began reading, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive merciful. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. And he read on and on the Gospel of Matthew. And at the end he said, I believe. At the end of the show, they never played it again, And one knows not what has actually happened to him. There are holes in the head of each and every one of us. And God's grace can get inside. Some are living in a kind of a hell, but heaven isn't far away. As hell is not very far away from heaven. Just imagine, for example... A perfect day in the springtime. Birds are singing. The lilt of the river nearby. Mountains are seen in the distance. All nature seems reflecting the divine power of the Creator. And in all of this peace, one man goes to a river, to that river where there are fish contented because they're wet and he takes one fish out of that water and holds it up where is that fish at that moment? that fish is in hell see how close he is to heaven? Everywhere else is heaven. But he's in hell. Because he was made to be wet. And as that fish was made to be wet, we were meant to be with God. Then you'll be in heaven.
0: God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program Your Life is Worth Living hosted by Al Smith.
1: Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. And we will now continue with Archbishop Sheen's Reflections from Lent uh, with a talk entitled, Do I Need Love? Beyond Love.
2: Our Blessed Lord, is the Word of God, was the creator of the universe, from his fingertips tumbled planets and worlds all the rivers and fountains and springs of life came from the magic of his creative hand then when he came to this earth he assisted one day at the feast of the tabernacles it was a Jewish feast that lasted for about eight days and on the final day the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and gather some water from the pool, bring it up to the temple, and pour it out in full view of all the people as a reminder of the blessings of God. And our blessed Lord broke into the liturgy and said above the trickling of all the waters, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. On another occasion, tired and weary at noon, he sat down at Jacob's well. A woman from the nearby village of Samaria came to draw water at noon, which was an unusual time because the other women would not let her come at that hour at the morning or evening hour when they visited the well. And our Lord asked her for a drink and told her that if she continued to drink of these waters that she would thirst again. He told her to drink of the water that he would give and she would never thirst. This is one side of our blessed Lord's eternal life and earthly life. Now we come to the cross. It is only natural after hours of crucifixion, bloodletting, scourgings of the night before, and forty different kinds of fevers, that the body should be almost in the kind of a hellish torment. So there welled up from him, who created all the waters of the earth, the shortest of all the seven words, I thirst. When he was nailed to the cross, the executioners offered him a drink, but it was an anodyne, and he refused to take anything that would dull pain. Now what they offer him is probably some of their sour vinegar wine. And one of the soldiers reached some hyssop on a javelin and reached it to his mouth. This cry of our blessed Lord had a double meaning. First of all, it was obviously physical thirst because that was one of the most natural effects of the crucifixion. The other effect was spiritual. What did the physical thirst here represent and symbolize and atone for? I believe that it atoned for all kinds of excesses. We do not have statues to alien gods in our culture. Once the true God came to this earth, there was no more need of making images of God, for the true image of God walked the earth. No other planet saw his earth visiting feet but our own but though we have no formal statues of gold and silver we do have gods that we worship and the three gods that are worshipped by our modern culture are Bacchus, Venus and Mammon first of all Bacchus Bacchus the god of wine the god of marijuana god of heroin, the god of drugs. All those things from God's creation that wreck and destroy in some way that which makes man the image of God. Reasonable creature. It is a very curious thing that in these days when we mouth freedom we are so anxious to destroy that which makes us free the second god that we worship is Venus Venus for all eroticism, loss excesses of gluttony and so forth where there is one organ isolated from the human body made the object to worship. And the third god that we worship is mammon. Mammon is the most subtle of all because there's a kind of an infinity about it. One can never have enough. It is also a kind of economic immortality. See what I have. See how well prepared I am my barns are filled each of these create a thirst not one of these gods ever satisfies I thirst for marijuana, I want more I thirst for alcohol, I want more I thirst for money, I want more. If there was ever to be reparation in the heart of man for the excesses of the worship of these three gods, it had to be performed now on the cross. As our blessed Lord suffers a physical thirst to atone for those who drink and are never satisfied who eat and are never filled who lust and who never love this was a very torturous kind of moment for our Lord it was almost a kind of hell because Those who rely upon these gods and indulge in the fractions but never get the whole undergo a kind of a hell. The alcoholic for his drink, for example. The lustful person for the pleasure. They're never satisfied. This creates an interior hell. That is what hell is, a thirst. That is the way it is described in the scriptures. When, for example, the rich man was in hell, he spoke to Father Abraham and asked that just a drop of water be put on his tongue to relieve his thirst. Thirst is hell. It is interesting what has happened to hell in our modern world first of all we used to believe it as the good Lord taught it that there is a heaven for those who do good a hell for those who do evil and then there is the earth which is the place of probation we finally denied heaven, hell and earth all for various reasons. We said that this smacked of a universe that was not very scientific. But when we denied hell, it went somewhere else. Where did it go? It went on the inside of human hearts. And human hell, with all of its psychic madness, began to take over. We had to be relieved from these burning flames. That conscience that had a thousand several tongues, and each tongue brings in a different tale, and every tale condemns me as a villain. Wonder Macbeth asked about his wife, Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased, pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow, raise out the rooted tablets of the brain, and by some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff that weighs upon the heart. So that's why we had to seek all kinds of psychic relief The deadening of consciousness, because hell moved inside. And finally we couldn't take that hell. So what have we done with it in the last 10 or 15 years? We've made it into nuclear bombs. And the movies become the interpreters, so that catastrophes, judgments, towering infernos wrecks disasters apocalyptic events all of these terrible endings seize upon the mind to make it forget that brood of nocturnal serpents they will not be still that was the hell that our blessed Lord endured in this thirst. The hell for those who worship the three gods. He atoned for them, they will but, but invoke his mercy. And then a spiritual thirst. And that is probably the real meaning of the word. Because we read in one of the Psalms I thirst for the living God, when will I appear before him? So our Lord is now thirsting for return to his Father. The night before, the Last Supper, he prayed to his Father and asked for the glory that was his before the foundations of the world were laid. Told his disciples he was going to prepare a place for them. Now he has this thirst to return again to his Father. And applying that spiritual thirst of our Lord to ourselves, what is it that we have if we love the Lord? We have a thirst for holiness, we want to be saints. We want to be happy Be at peace on the inside To be one with the Father And what is sanctity? Sanctity is Is Christ living in me? So that his mind possesses my, my mind, and I'm governed by his truth. That's sanctity. So that he's in my will, and all things that are pleasing to him, that I do. He's in my body, so that my body becomes a tabernacle. And then sanctity is not only Christ in me, it's making Christ known to others. It's being lovable, making Christ lovable. When they see us, others see us, they see Christ. As Peter and John, when they were in the Sanhedrin after the resurrection of our blessed Lord, Caiaphas and those who had condemned our Lord said, Well, they've evidently been with Jesus. That's what a saint is. You say of him, Well, he's been with Christ. That's happiness. And we all want it the tragedy of life is not what we suffer the tragedy of life is what we miss the great and tremendous joy at being at peace and what our Lord will then was that we be his so that we are to do what some of the crusaders did at the time of the Robert Bruce, he was taken ill and was unable to go on the crusades. And he asked his friend, Lord Douglas, when he died to, when Bruce died, to cut out his heart and take it with him to the Holy Land. And when Douglas went on the pilgrimage and on the war with the Saracens in the Holy Land, he met the enemy outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he was losing the day, and he turned to his Soldiers, and holding up the heart of Bruce, he said to his soldiers, he's where the heart of Bruce was wont to go. There go ye! And he threw the heart of Bruce into the enemy, and so anxious to capture it, they went in and won the day. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. We hadn't lost fire. Our fires have gone out. Fire has two qualities, light and heat. We have the light, but the enemy has the heat no fire, no love. So take Christ love him so much, you go in to win the day.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith.
1: Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you once again for joining me for these Lenten reflections given by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. We've been studying the seven last words our Lord spoke from the Central Cross on Calvary, and uh, Bishop Sheen's been tying in some beautiful meditations to each one of those words. And we've gone together through five of them so far, and we are now approaching the sixth meditation. And uh, this talk will be entitled, Should I Come Down from the Cross? And uh, again, thank you for joining us uh, during this Lenten season. I know that each and every one of us have heavy hearts from time to time, and we have many intentions that we uh, carry with us. And so please know that we are praying for you, and we thank you that you're praying for us. And so we would rely on your support, uh, both morally, spiritually, and financially. And, uh, you know, the think of that Lenten observance that we have. We pray, we fast, and we give alms to the poor. And so we'd ask you to prayerfully discern if you could be so generous to give us a donation also. And uh, you can do that on our secure website at uh, radiomaria.ca. Or if you would prefer the mail, our mailing address in Toronto is 1247 Lawrence Avenue West in Toronto, Ontario. Our postal code M6L1A1. And if you'd like to call us through our business hours, Monday to Friday from 10 till 2, that's Eastern Standard Time, our telephone number is 416-245-7117. Again, 416-245-7117. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, uh, again, you can visit us on radiomaria.ca. And so now we'll continue with these reflections. Uh, Bishop Sheen will now address us with um, a talk entitled, Should I Come Down from the Cross? And this is in relation to the sixth word our Lord spoke from the cross. Please enjoy
2: life is full of unfinished symphonies marriages that were never lived out until death do them part educations that were never completed jobs that were never done vocations that were never fulfilled, leaving unused chalices in sacristies, in veils of nuns and old boxes and garrets, unsculptured works of art, like the statue and monument to Julius II where the figures are just half emerging from marble but were never completed for all the unfinished lives of people lives that can be finished however our blessed Lord now utters his sixth word on the cross and it is about finishing and completing the work he finishes his and so his word was it is accomplished it is finished in other words the work the father gave him to do has been done why is our work unfinished and his is why is so much of our work undone it's because we hear a cry that was uttered against our blessed Lord at that particular moment that the enemies came beneath the cross and with clenched fists shouted to him come down from that cross come down and we will believe they would apparently believe anything but just come down from that cross that's why lives are unfinished young people who are afraid of their peers and afraid to be good when their peers are bad come down from the cross come down and we will believe with our blessed Lord on the contrary it is finished what is finished? the work of redemption from the very beginning of the human race there were signs and symbols and types of what was happening at this hour on Calvary they are now finished one of them And I think one of the most beautiful of all was the scarlet cord. That was finally finished. It was a long string. When Moses sent out his spies from Egypt, 12 of them, to go to the land of Jericho to see how strong the people were and how fruitful were the crops. They came to the walls of Jerusalem and they were let in by a prostitute by the name of Rahab. She said, I know that your God is the true God. I know of the marvels that he wrought in the Red Sea. And I know you are going to take this land. And I only ask that when the Lord and his people come, you will spare me and my parents, and my family. And the spy said to her, when we cross the Jordan and come into Jericho, you let out from your window at the wall a scarlet cord. And we will see that cord, and everyone in your house will be saved. A scarlet cord was the symbol of the blood of Christ. and all of the Paschal lambs that had been sacrificed, and all the other penitential rites of the Jews, where there was a shedding of blood, there were inches in that cord, and finally the cord reaches to Calvary. And at that moment, our Lord saw the completion of it. He had shed his blood for the redemption of the world. The cord had reached its end. The serpent. When the Israelites had disobeyed God, Moses was told by God to construct a serpent of brass and hang it up on the crotch of a tree. And everyone who would look at that serpent of brass in the crotch of the tree would be healed of the poisonous bite. For many of the Israelites had already died with the bite of that serpent. Now there's absolutely nothing in looking at a brass serpent that would cure us of a snake bite. This was just simply a matter of faith and a belief in the symbol and a belief in the word of God. He said it. So our blessed Lord, in talking to Nicodemus when he came on earth, said, as Moses lifted the serpent, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And as all who looked at that serpent were cured of the poisonous bite by belief in the word of God, so now one who looks like as if he were evil, as that brass serpent looked like a poisonous serpent, but was not. So our Lord looked like a sinner, but he was not. And all who looked upon him and look upon him would be healed this was finished and all his other works types were done and that's what he meant by this word but there is another word in scripture that's very seldom quoted it's in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians a letter that he wrote from prison St. Paul says, I fill up in my own flesh the sufferings that are wanting to the passion of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. I fill up. I complete. I finish. In my own flesh. Body. Body. The sufferings that are wanting to the passion of Christ. Was there anything wanting? Did he not redeem us completely? Did this not completely satisfy divine justice? How then could St. Paul say, I'm filling up a quota A quota that's yet to be added to the sufferings of Christ. Because our blessed Lord in the Old Testament is sometimes presented as an individual, sometimes as Israel, the church. He is personal. He is the corporation of the people of God. In the New Testament, he's our head, the head of the church. He has a corporation, which is the church. As he The head suffered for the church and brought it into being. So we who are members of the church, which is the continuation of his life, have to help redeem the church. It's very much like creation. God created the world, but he put the world into our hands. We have to complete it with our technology, with our arts and with our sciences. So, our blessed Lord redeems us. We have to begin applying that redemption. He's given us the word, we have to apply the acts. So, the church needs salvation. The church needs redemption. And that is what St. Paul meant by saying that he finishes, he completes the work of redemption. Now, this is something we never think about. That is one of the reasons why we drop reparation in the church. We have reparation in the human body. When I had my open heart surgery, I was bleeding to death. I depended upon 80 people who gave me 80 pints of blood. The human body has only 8 pints. Somebody had to supply 80 pints to keep me alive. They were filling up the quote of my life. And just as we have a kidney transplant, even a heart transplant, so we have the transplanting of merits, of prayers, suffrages, sacrifices, from one member of the church to the other to cure those members of their anemic condition. We're living in a decade that needs reparation more than any other decade in the past 100 years. But we're failing it. I was talking to a young woman who was in an iron lung for 21 years. The only part of her body that she could move was her head. And she told me that she had a visit a week before from six seminarians. And they told her they were about to be ordained priests. And she said, well, I hope you're also going to be ordained a victim. Because our Lord was not only a priest, he was a victim. He offered himself for others. So you have to do that. And they said, no, the Lord wants us to have a good time. She said, you young men are imposing a tremendous additional penance on me to make you worthy of your priesthood. She was filling up in her own body the sufferings that were wanting to them. So those of us who have the faith have to begin restoring the idea of reparation in talking to His Holiness Pope Paul I said to him, you have been well-named, Paul. For as Paul was stoned as he went from Derby to Lystra to the city of Antioch, so you've been stoned by your own. Yes, he said, every night when I go to bed, I open my mail at midnight and at almost every letter is a thorn. And when I put my head on my pillow at night, I lay it really on a crown of thorns. And then he added, But I cannot tell you what an ineffable joy I have. For I am filling up, we said, in my own body the sufferings that are wanting to the passion of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. This is the unfinished side of redemption. Ours, yours, mine. I saw the Son of God go by, crowned with a crown of thorns, Was it not finished, Lord, said I, and all the anguish born. He turned on me his awful eyes. Hast thou not understood? Lo, every sin is a calvary, and every soul a-roomed.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program... Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith.
1: Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living. I hope you've been enjoying these Lenten reflections given by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. You know, I think of that last talk, how Archbishop Sheen asked us to make reparation for our sins. And, um, you know, I think of that story of the woman with the iron lung and how she... (laughs) you know, scolded those six seminarians and, uh, you know, kind of said to them, I hope you become victims because you're called through your priesthood to be both priest and victim as our Lord was. And so uh, to any seminarians listening today, I just uh, want to remind you of uh, this uh, great opportunity you have uh, as you study to become priests that you will keep in mind Sheen's words as he wrote in the book, The Priest Is Not His Own to become both priest and victim. That uh, very rarely do you ever hear a seminarian say, oh yes, I'm going to the seminary to become a victim. Uh, but uh, there could be nothing farther from the truth. Uh, they're studying to be both priest and victim. And so let us pray for our and studying uh, all across North America, uh, of course, as they discern if it is God's call that they become priest. And so uh, let us continue to support one another. I want want to thank, of course, my good friend Anthony from FultonSheen.com who has made available to us today these quality recordings that we've been using for quite some time now here on Radio Maria. And uh, his website, uh, www.FultonSheen.com, has uh, well over 300 audio recordings from the Venerable Archbishop Sheen. And uh, again, pennies per uh, recording, Uh, $27 would buy you the whole collection. And uh, again, what a great resource, a treasury of grace, I like to call it, uh, to have for your computer, for your iPhone, for your iPod, for all your digital devices. Uh, Again, these files, these MP3 files, can be shared uh, amongst your different devices. So uh, either listening in the car or at home, uh, great to fill your mind with the wisdom and the wit of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. So again, www.fultonsheen.com And we'd ask you to remember us, of course, in your generous giving uh, here at radiomaria.ca and so uh, please, uh, by all means, uh, please help us in the work that we do in bringing Christ to the world. And so I hope to be back again next week to share a few Lenten reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And so until that time, may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace.
0: You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.